I'm continuing a series of sermons called Reading the Red, the Words of Jesus. Because I'm firmly convinced that the need of today is not to interpret the Bible in general, but to hear the voice of Jesus Christ personally. This is not an easy sermon to preach, and it's even less easy to hear. And I say that as one who hears it even as I preach it, because I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me and you're overhearing. You will either leave here tremendously depressed or tremendously lifted up, but if you leave here blank emotionally, watch out because you are in great danger. Let me first go through the scripture and just give you a first primary level because it is important that you understand just on an elementary level about Judgment Day. This is not so much what is going to happen on Judgment Day. There are two judgments, by the way, those for those who are saved and not saved, the ones that are saved won't face the first judgment. But there's also a judgment of works recorded in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. And so that is the judgment that we talk about. And we will all face it. We will all face it. There are three things in this culture that makes us believe down deep inside that we're not going to face judgment, that we will not go to the judgment day, or at least put it into the background, because you don't hear very many messages on judgment day, thankfully. One is that we, as we continue in this life, we have this continuing sense of isolation, that somehow we are cut off from everybody else. Somehow we're different from everybody else. And so, yeah, I know there's a concept of Judgment Day, but it's not going to be me. I know that everybody else will probably go through it, but it may not be me. And we have this sense inside that we are in our own little protected world. And that God really does not have his eye on us every second we live. And I tell you what it comes from. It comes from being enamored with ourselves. I'll never forget the day that I went to the store with Beck, and I, for some reason Isaac was the only one in the car. I don't know where Josh was that day. Isaac was the only one in the car, so we, we went. This is when he was a little kid, had curls all over his hair, a kilo bugger. And Beck went in, run into the store, and Isaac, and, for, and I had gotten a pair of mirror sunglasses that week. You know, the kind that you, I don't know, I saw them, and they, I saw them on a biker, and they looked cool, and I wanted to look like a biker, so I don't know. Anyhow, I'd gotten a pair of mirror sunglasses, and so we were just hanging around the car, and Isaac just crawled on my lap and said, Hey, Dad, you got some new sun? He said, Do you know you can see yourself in these things? These are just like... For the next 10 minutes, until his mother came back to the car, I sat silently and a few inches away from his face, watched him disappear into a reflective world of his own. He had absolutely no consciousness of my presence.
And if someone who would have come to the car and said, hey, Isaac, where's your dad? I believe that he would have said, I don't know, he was here a minute ago. <laughs> that far from my face. It's what we do. It's what we do. The Father is never more than inches from our face. But yet we can say, God, where are you? Where have you gone? We really believe inside we're isolated. We never, ever, ever are. Secondly, we think somehow we can avoid, we have the illusion we're going to be able to avoid any unpleasantries on Judgment Day. We have it for a couple of reasons. First of all, <clears throat> we've got this thing with technicalities. That's part of the leaven of the Pharisees. They knew the law well enough, and I'll talk more about this a little bit later on, knew the law well enough to use it against itself and to get free of it, to get above it. And we have that same sense, if we become good enough Christians, maybe we won't have to do like everybody else does and submit to God. We can find a biblical way out. We are a litigation society. The last count I had, Florida, just the state of Florida, had 9,000 more attorneys than all of the country of Japan. And Florida is not even one of the top 10 states in the, in the United States as far as per capita attorneys. We are a whole society that resolves its dilemmas in court. And because we are, we've become very clever, very clever, with the technicalities of the legal system. And you know, I really believe that some Christians believe that they can know the Bible well enough that they can get away with what they want to and they don't have to toe the line. If you just know it well enough, rely on the promises of God. And the other reason we think we can avoid it, you know, besides the loopholes, you know, it's got to have some loopholes. The old story about W.C. Fields. <clears throat> Um, you know, he never really was a believer. And uh, when he had gotten very, very old, he, they walked into his bedroom one, t one day, and uh, he, was, he was sitting on the bed. And uh, he said, he was reading the Bible, he was leafing through the Bible. And they said, W.C., what are you doing? And he said, looking for loopholes, you know. We really believe there's probably some in there. If you, if you remain in a litigation mentality long enough, you believe that there's somehow you're going to get out of some technicality you're going to pull. There is none. And we believe, because it's like this in the world, second reason, that we can somehow avoid judgment day if we keep a low enough profile. Do you remember when you were smaller, <clears throat> younger? I always get in trouble with that. I was never much smaller. <clears throat> but I was younger, much younger. And I remember not doing my homework and going to class and sitting there and keeping low profile of the year. And you walk in, the first thing you say, you just get real prayerful and say, God, don't let her call on me. And the teacher stands up there and what happens? You figure out this mentality that you can keep. Now, you can't retreat altogether. If you hide behind the person in front of you, she'll miss you and she'll call on you. She knows the, the jig is up, you know. So you kind of get one eye, see, out from the person 
kind of trying to blend into the background. And then when she starts asking questions, you look like you, oh, I know that. And you know, you just give it one of those. And when everybody else has got their hands on, and when you see she's about ready to call on somebody, you stick your hand up and she calls on somebody else and you go like this, see? You know? And then she asks another question, you know, and you go like this. And somebody answers and you go, see? Low profile, you know, you're in there enough to give her the impression you did it, um, and, but you just aren't, you know, just aren't really in there. You can hide in class. You can't hide on a judgment day. Do you know that every one of us someday will be the starring attraction on judgment day? We will be the center of attention. And there is no hiding. Not only for God and the angels, but for people, for all of the heavenly host, there is no avoidance. We will be there. And we will give an accounting for the lives that we've lived. And there's also the impression that somehow, because of the culture we live in, because it gets more lax and more lax and more lax, and if we just do something enough, then it tends to be okay. Somehow, the authority or the standards of God are going to erode. They're going to get less. Don't count on it. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You remember when uh, Jimmy Carter was president, it was just after that time that Phil Donahue had Miss Lillian on. Miss Lillian was his mother. And I usually don't watch Phil Donahue for obvious reasons, but I watched it because I'm real interested in the political scene. And, and Phil asked a great question. He said, <clears throat> Miss Lillian, you had some wonderful, and you remember Billy Carter, God rest his soul. The Boogerhead brother. You remember him. I mean, the good old boy. He asked the question like this. Miss Lillian, you had all of these high-achieving kids, you know. Jimmy was always a high achiever, and now he's the president of the United States, and, and Ruth Carter Stapleton wrote a wonderful book, and she's a high achiever and just went right on down to the kids and said, what happened with Billy? And Miss Lillian looked at him and said this. You know, Phil, by the time we got to Billy, we were just plain tired. <laughs> you know, from being kids, from remembering what it's like when we're kids, if we just badger our parents long enough, sometimes they wear down. God never does. And parents watch out for Billy's. God never wears down. We can't take our image and project it onto God. Psalm 50, 21 says, God is talking, he says, you thought I was just like you. I'm not. I'm not like any of your parents. I'm not. So there is going to be a judgment day, and we're all going to be there, and we are all going to be featured. And we're going to give an account for the life that we've lived. But let me take you through this scripture at a deeper level. Could be today. <laughs> let me take you through this scripture at a deeper level. Let me explain some key words in this scripture to you 
so that you can see what he's saying. Because at the surface level, at the surface level, this seems to be very unfair. You mean to tell me everything I've ever said is going to be repeated on Judgment Day? I've said some pretty crummy things that I didn't mean. And everybody's going to hear those? Let me show this to you. The first key word in this scripture is the word leaven. Leaven. Now leaven, most of you know, is akin to our yeast. It was a bit of bread from the last batch that has been given time to ferment. And it is put into a new batch of dough so that all of that dough will rise. So that it has an effect on the whole batch of dough. Usually in the Bible, leaven talks about, is, is, used, in a, is a, used in a sinful manner. I mean, it, it's akin to sin. Um, in Luke 13.20, though, leaven is, is used in a good manner. It says the kingdom of heaven will be like leaven. It'll spread and so on and so forth. So it's, but it's the dynamic of any small bit of something that is meant to affect the whole. Now remember that. Remember that. Second thing I want you to notice is the word said and whispered. There are two types of speech in the Bible. One is the type of speech that really doesn't reflect what's inside of us. Isaiah 29, 13 said, They draw near to me with their words, and they praise me with their lips, but their heart is far removed from me. So the words don't mean what's inside. They don't reflect. They don't reveal. There are words that are separated from the heart. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the second thing that is revealed, the second type of word that is revealed in the Scripture, and that is found in Matthew 12, 34, where it says, the words of the mouth come from what fills the heart, you see. What fills the heart. So the kind of words that will be revealed are the words that are reflective of our entire character. What is in our heart. Not every little thing that we've ever said, but the words that are in our heart that has made us publicly revealed. Third thing I want you to see is the sense of pressure. The sense of fear. It says, fear not those who can kill the body, but those he, meaning God, who has the power to cast you into hell. There's a pressure there. And pressure does what? It brings about who we really are. It brings out who we really are. Romans 5, 4 says, We rejoice in tribulations because tribulations bring about perseverance. And perseverance what? Proven character. See? So the pressure is something that will also help bring out who we really are. And we've got to watch ourselves in pressure. Because then we really become our basic self. Now the fourth and last thing I want you to see is the word, and I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. This is confession in the sense of what is in our heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess 
Jesus is Lord. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It takes those two, see? So that our confession is a revelation. For with the heart, man believes and it's reckoned to him as righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses and it's reckoned to him as salvation. So that revelation needs to be what's in our heart. It doesn't matter if you just say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be what fills up your life. The scripture also says, he who denies me, I'll deny before the Father. Does that mean if you've ever denied Jesus Christ, you've lost your salvation? No. Peter denied him, didn't he? Three times. But see, what Peter was saying came under pressure so that Peter regressed and he slipped back. But yet he came back. That wasn't the intention of his heart. It, wasn't the, it was never the intention of Peter's heart to deny Jesus. He just slipped. He made a mistake. He sinned, see? So therefore, what is important in this passage is what fills our lives. Now watch this. Listen to me very carefully. Because likely this is not anything you've ever heard before. And it's something God wants you to hear. The strategy of Satan is to get us so fixed on the big sins we have committed in the past and to feel so sorry for those big sins we've committed in the past that when anybody mentions Judgment Day that's what we hearken back to. You know, oh I know I've prayed for forgiveness for that but I wonder if he really forgive me. You know, I wonder if I really have it. I want to differentiate for you in your mind today the difference between sins and sin. Sins are the little and sometimes great indications of the weaknesses we have in our lives, of the diseases we have in our lives. Sin is what fills up our lives. It is the, it is the, the result of sins being leavened in our life. Sins can be gotten rid of by confession. And you've got to believe that that happens. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions. They can be cast utterly away. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Thou cast all my sins behind thy back. See, God doesn't even see him anymore. So the individual sins that we have are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Satan will come in and he will go, come at you and he'll say, that's not really forgiven, that's still there. And every time we start to feel guilty, we'll hearken back. It was a horrible thing I did. You know, Satan's chief thing is to get you to concentrate on that so that you can never move on. That's not what you are to be afraid of. That's just the first level of sin. The second level of sin comes here. What did that sin show you about yourself that you tend to ignore because it's so much more subtle? Remember the character of Satan in the garden? He was the most subtle creature of all the creation. 
In other words, what is there <clears throat> that once you commit a sin, spreads in your life? You can put that sin behind you, but once you put it behind you, you don't notice the other things that you're doing because they're so much littler and less spectacular. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Let me give you a few examples. <clears throat> How many of you, when you were kids and in school, came up to a big test and you hadn't studied for it? And you knew you should have and you would next time, but you hadn't. And the kid next to you was a genius. And he had. Now you're a Christian. And you think to yourself, I can't cheat. Cheating is wrong. And then you think to yourself, wait a minute. God forgives sin. I will cheat just this one time so that I can get an A, and then I'll ask for forgiveness so that I can be forgiven and I'll be clean. So that's exactly what you do. And you get your A, and you get for, you, your forgiveness. You see what I'm talking? See where I'm headed? You know the law technically enough to get around it. Now, afterward, you may have truly, honestly known that was way out of bounds. And Lord, I know I don't deserve forgiveness because I was taking it, I was presuming upon your grace. And I know I don't deserve forgiveness. But I do ask you forgiveness, and I accept your forgiveness. And you have his forgiveness. But let me ask you this. What happens the next time you get under pressure? You see, that primary sin is indicative. It is not determinative. It is indicative. That is, it's like an area of weakness that always has to be watched. It's like spraining your ankle real bad. For any of you who have ever sprained, I mean really creamed your ankle. I don't mean just turned it, I mean creamed it. You know that for the rest of your life, you kind of got to watch that, don't you? Because that's going to be a little less able to bear up under the pressure than the rest of your parts of your body because it's been injured severely. And you don't go for the rest of your life saying, Oh Lord, I can't do anything because I sprained my ankle once. But if you are exercising, you may think to yourself, I got to watch this. I got to watch how I turn on this because I know it can go out again. Same with back injuries or any of those injuries. This is why God sends the Holy Spirit to convict us of sins so that we know that there's an area of weakness in our life that's liable to go out again. John 16, 8 says, The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, he sends the Holy Spirit so not to make us feel bad, so that we know that there is an area in our life that we really have to watch. Because if we don't watch it from now on, we'll go into it again and again. Let me confess something to you. <clears throat> One Lent, Beck and I gave up sweets, among other things. Not because... <clears throat> um, we were trying to lose weight on Jesus or whatever, you know. But simply because we love sweets. I mean, you pour sugar into it, we'll eat it. I don't care if it's mud. We love sweets. Anything that's sweet and doesn't move is in our mouth. We love it. And so we thought, 
you know, you know, we got to be constantly reminded of, of what Christ has done for us, how much he's given up for us. And so therefore, we're going to give this up. And we are going to, uh, every time we want sweets, we're going to know, you know, this isn't even a shadow of what Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. So, not many of you know that technically Sundays are not included in Lent. Lent is the 40 days preceding, uh, but Sunday is always a day of resurrection and celebration. So technically, Sundays are not included in Lent. You see where I'm headed with this? First Sunday came, we were dying. I mean, dying. I looked at Beck, and Beck looked at me and said, well, technically, you know. <laughs> so we ate sweets. That didn't satisfy it. It revved us up. By Tuesday, we were dying again. So we worked out this plan. Well, we said, you know, every day is alike to God. God doesn't... Pfft. Let's borrow the next Sunday. Let's have a Sunday in advance. Honest to goodness, this is how, this is how the perverted mind works. Let's have a Sunday in advance, and then we won't eat sweets next Sunday. So we did. Guess what happened the next Sunday? we got to borrow another Sunday someplace. <laughs> By the time we got done with that Lenten period, we were out of Sundays until 1991. <laughs> you see what happens when you begin to, to technical your way out of obedience is that it increases the desire in that area. Until you are, you don't care about submitting any longer. By the time we got done, they said, well, he doesn't care about sweets anyhow. I mean, that's not a religious thing. And yeah, we've sinned, but golly, everybody sins. I mean, we didn't care. See? God convicts us of individual sins so that we can see what else is our area of weakness or how that area of weakness will be carried on. Jesus said, beware of the leaven. I don't care about that little bit. I care about the lump. See? And I care that the little bit is important because it tells you how the lump can get infected and how the whole thing can go bad. Have you had an affair in your marriage? According to all the recent statistics, there's a lot of guys in here who have. And so you feel horrible, terrible. Because it's an awful thing to do, and it is an awful thing to do. Or maybe some of you who are a little less brave have just watched X-rated videos or whatever. And you feel horrible about it. And every time you start to feel bad, or every time the, the Holy Spirit convicts you, you go back to that. Could I just give you the second level? I want you to leave that behind and I want you to go to the second level and ask yourself, what is the leaven of a dynamic like that? How many hundreds of ways do I turn away from my wife every day? Because that's where you live. Hopefully you're not living in that affair anymore. You are living in the marriage. How does that weakness in your relationship continue 
on in the everyday? How does it continue to make you insensitive? You men and women, I know some of you feel terrible about having premarital sex. It's history. It's history. But let me ask you this. Are there ways that that dynamic has continued so that men, you still look at your spouse as somebody who is there to please your desires? And women, you still look at your husband and say, well, if I can just provide something he likes, maybe I can manipulate his behavior. Maybe I can have him do something for me that I want. And when it comes right down to it, bare bones, you're both in it trying to get out of it what you want instead of give to the other person. See, that's the leaven. Beware the leaven. Beware that you are not technically correct, but totally, totally infected. You say to me, you know, I've used drugs. And I still feel bad. And they probably had a permanent effect on my brain. I'd say they probably had a, more of a permanent effect on how you react to pressure and how you face or do not face reality. Because if you've been a drug user, that is an escape. It is something that makes you feel better. And it's totally artificial. Let me ask you this. When will you face reality like it is? and not try to escape? When will you become the caretaker of someone else instead of everybody trying to rescue you? I don't care whether it's in drugs or it's in bouts of depression or if it's in, it's in you know, food addictions, what it is. I don't care. When does it come time for you not to cop out? You may not have touched a drug for 20 years. But if you still escape in artificial ways and you won't live up to your own responsibility, you're still doing drugs. And that's the second level of sin. Much more subtle, much more socially acceptable, but just as ruinous. Just as ruinous. I have had people lately, Christians, that are so hardened to the fact that they can work religion, that I have probably had a half a dozen people in the last month come into my office and they'll just sit down and they'll look at me face to face and they're in the middle of some big sin and it's to their credit that they come in because they know what I'm going to say. And they'll look at me face to face and says, just tell me one thing. If I continue to do this, Am I going to lose my salvation? Can you guarantee I'll lose my salvation? Because if you can guarantee I'll lose my salvation, I'll quit. But if I'm not going to lose my salvation, I'm going to continue. Now those people have been a part of Christianity just long enough, just long enough to learn about the doctrine of eternal security and turn it back on God so that they can do what they want. And no, technically, I can't tell them they're going to lose their salvation. But I wonder what happens to our hearts when we use the promises of God against His Spirit. 
when we go to the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law, honestly, how is it that you and I, every one of us, the more we know about God, the more we come out on top and the more he becomes our servant? How is that? It's the second level of sin. It's the leaven that is hypocrisy. It's the place where the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin anymore because we can't feel it. We have read the promises so many times and we have become so socially acceptable that going to church to us is a matter of feeling good. And we do. We feel good. We come here feel wonderful. But our lives don't change. And we are not more God's servant than ever. Think about that. Think about the sin that you've had in your past life that is gone. But its leaven is still there. Think about the ways that you win instead of the ways you lose. The ways that you gather authority instead of the ways you serve and wonder whether or not that's the character of Christ. And that's what Christ modeled for you. Because it's not. It's not. It's not an easy one to preach. It's not an easy one to hear. But it's an honest one. Someday we're going to stand before God. And when it comes to a review of what we've done in this life, Jesus Christ could come up beside us and say, now here's a guy who did everything right, but never had me as his Lord. When it came right down to what he really, really wanted and what he knew I was really, really going to say, he worked things enough his way with religious language to go off on his own. There was no sacrifice involved. And in every relationship he had, he was the boss. He was the manipulator. Or here's a woman who technically did everything right in her life and she never loved me when I just wanted her love. Let's all examine our lives this morning. Most of us are clean of blatant sin. If you are not, please, this morning, stop. If there is something in your life that you know is wrong, stop today because it will infect everything you are and everything that you love. But if you put the big ones behind you and you're kind of floating along okay, remember there are subtle ways that we don't love. There are subtle ways we ignore the Holy Spirit so that we do not sense Him or hear Him anymore. There are subtle ways that we get our own way and God becomes our servant. Examine your heart. I'm going to examine mine.